God, we thank you that you're a generous and good God. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for Ronaldo and Catherine Santiago. We thank you that they have willingly agreed to put themselves forward to be your servants, to be used by you to bless this church. We thank you for the way that they have already done that with such joy, with such faithfulness. We rejoice in that and we ask that you might bless them and their family in the season ahead as they transition into a new role, into a new family dynamic, into a new work rhythm. We ask that you would bless Alnado as he oversees gospel communities, that our church would grow in this area, that we'd, you would help us to see that vision of 20 gospel communities established by the end of this year. And God, I pray that you would provide the finances necessary to see this staffing appointment flourish and grow. And God, I pray that you would continue to sow amongst your people a spirit of generosity. And Lord, we pray now as we come before you in your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I pray now that in my weakness you might fill me for the task of preaching Jesus. God, I pray for your people that you might soften hearts. Give them ears to hear what you are saying. We pray that you might empower us for the mission that you have called us to in this city. Even today, Lord, that you might fill us with your spirit so that tomorrow morning we would go out and make much of Jesus. So we ask now, meet us in the scriptures, point us to Jesus, fill us with your spirit. We pray this in his name and God's people said, Amen. Well, if you've um, just joined us this morning, we're midway through our series called Presence and Power, a seven, maybe eight-week series on the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the presence of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the power of the Holy Spirit in moving people from death to life. And this morning and next week, we're going to be looking at what we've called um, grace in the church. And so the Spirit empowering and directing the mission of God and then next week, Alnado is going to be speaking on the Spirit, making us more and more like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we're going to get into the gifts of the Spirit. We've got some good places to go and things coming up. But today, what I want to look at is the empowering and directing presence of the Holy Spirit for the mission. I bought my first car when I was 18 or 19 years of age. It was a 1979 Toyota Corolla KE55. It was beige with a brown vinyl interior and a 900cc motor in it. Just so you know, that's about a latte larger than my Harley Davidson motorcycle. And it did 0 to 100 in about infinity seconds. Like it literally just never got there. I didn't take the thing on the freeway. I was too scared. It never made it up hills. So it was just like Really slow, but pretty fuel efficient on a good side. Um, so when I upgraded from, from my first little Corolla, I decided I needed to get something with a little bit more power, a little bit more grunt, a little bit of a bigger engine to it. And so my second car, you ready? It was a Ford Falcon, 1987 Ford Falcon XF with a 4.1 litre straight six. It had been bought out to about a 4.6 litre with twin mandrel bent sports exhausts out the back. It was lowered at 265s on the rear, half roll cage, tinted windows and tacos on the outside of the car at the front. And it was fully sick. It was, full, it was just a beast. I loved it. It was so loud that when I pulled up to my mum and dad's house and parked it on the front, uh, the front garden there. It used to make the windows rattle in their window frames on the front of the house. I love that car. I tell you what, if I could find it, I'd probably buy it again today. I want you to put yourself in the front seat of that car with me. Sit there. Bucket seats. The hum of that two and a half inch sports exhaust. We're doing manies. Around the local shops. Windows are down. Arms are hanging out looking real tough, and I say to you, you know what, this car doesn't seem like it's all that much faster than my old car, and you'd be like, well, what are you talking about, the engine's like five times bigger, you're like, well, you know, I put my foot down, go to 60Ks, and that's it, and you're like, well, but that's because the speed limit's 60Ks. Like, have you ever taken the car onto the freeway like you never did in your old car? Have you, have you ever taken this car onto the motorway and just, like, put your foot down and seen what happens as that motor roars? And I'm like, nah, it just seems like the car's about as powerful as the old one. I mean, it would be ludicrous for me to say that, right? And it seems to me 
that sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like that. We have this power, this resource that is available to us, and yet we never put the foot down. We never do what he's called us to do. We never get out on the front line of mission and experience the power of the Spirit. You see, I think what we want is a powerful and personal experience of the Spirit for ourselves, individually, but maybe we're not willing to step out and experience the power of the Spirit to send us and direct us for His mission because that seems a little bit too scary for us. I think we've been doing mission in the power of our own flesh and in our own strength for far too long that sometimes we've learnt to do the mission of Jesus without the Spirit altogether. That we're on the field laboring for the mission and God is in the stands watching. That this is our thing and sometimes we hope that he shows up and helps us along the way. We've learned to do mission without the Spirit. God appears sometimes quite invisible for us. But the problem with that is, is if we have any hope of seeing this city radically transformed by the gospel... If we have any hope of being a church who will be in community, on mission, for Jesus, then we have to. We have to be dependent on the Spirit. We have to be filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit for His mission. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that I'm convinced that we desperately need Him. We desperately need Him. Because effective mission is always empowered mission. Effective mission is always empowered mission. And I want to show you why I believe that's the case. We're going to go to a number of passages. We're going to skim through the scriptures pretty quickly. So follow with me on the screens behind me. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. You will see here that the Holy Spirit both empowers and directs the mission of Jesus. This is what it says, Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. For 30 years, Jesus is just an ordinary dude. For 30 years, Jesus is working an ordinary job, probably a carpenter with his dad. And then, to mark the beginning of his public ministry of preaching the good news of the kingdom, of healing people, he goes to John, he is baptized, and then at that moment, the Spirit of God descends upon him and fills him for the purpose of mission. I don't want you to miss the importance of this, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. And it seems like he needs and requires the power of the Spirit to fulfill the mission that God has sent him for. And so if Jesus needs the Spirit, then how much more me? How much more you? How much more our church? You know, the very next thing that happens after Jesus is is filled with the Spirit, is anointed with the Spirit here in Luke chapter 3. You you flick the page to Luke chapter 4 verse 1 and it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And so immediately what you see is that Jesus begins to step out begin to fulfill the ministry that God has called him to, full of the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. In Luke 4.14, it says that Jesus begins his ministry in the power of the Spirit. In Luke 4.18, he walks into the synagogue. He He opens the scroll of Isaiah. He reads the prophet Isaiah and says this, what what you see in this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing, that I am anointed by God, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to set the captives free, to open blind eyes, that the lame might walk. Jesus is filled and empowered with the Spirit. Now, in case you think that's not what's really happening here in these events, 
let Peter interpret these events for you. Because this is what Peter thinks has happened in these moments here for Jesus. In, in Acts 10, verse 37, Peter says this, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were opposed by the devil, for God was with him. That's, that's what Peter is saying is happening here. It is precisely because Jesus is anointed with the Spirit of God. It is precisely because God was with him that Jesus is able to be directed by the Spirit and fulfill this ministry in power. If the, if the Son of God needs the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, then how much more you or I? Now just a, as a bit of a side note here, if you think back to that verse from Luke chapter 3, as Jesus is baptized, as he's praying, the heavens opened and the Father speaks from heaven, you'll notice there that Jesus does not begin to walk out into this mission as a task of earning the Father's approval. He doesn't. He already has the Father's approval. What, is, what does the voice from heaven say? This is my Son whom I love. I'm well pleased with Him. And then it's out of the Father's approval that Jesus fulfills that mission. Friends, don't get those two things back to front. If you have mission, if, if your fulfillment of the Great Commission is a task to earn the approval of God, A, you'll never get there. But B, it'll make mission a, a box-ticking task. It'll mean that people are a means to an end. It'll mean that your love is not genuine. We are on mission for Jesus out of the approval that we already have. Because if in Christ we hear the words of the Father, this is my son, this is my daughter, I love them, I'm well pleased. It's out of that deep sense of identity in the gospel that we are sent on mission, not the other way around. It's a very important thing to get. But he, the point here is this. Jesus ministers. He is on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself needed the Holy Spirit to fill him, direct him, and empower him. Secondly, the disciples need the Holy Spirit to direct and empower them for the mission. Just before Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says to the disciples that are there, he says, I want you guys to wait. So he's just given them the commission. He says, I want you guys to wait. Now wait for what? I mean, surely out of anyone who is equipped and ready to go and Preach the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's the disciples. I mean, they've just finished a three-year practical ministry intensive with Jesus himself. Every single day, they've watched what Jesus did. They've seen what they've heard what Jesus said. I mean, surely, if anybody is ready and equipped to go, it's the disciples. Like, who else can say that they were discipled by Jesus himself? I mean, imagine that conversation. You're like, oh, so... Uh, you know, who was your disciple? Well, you know, John the Baptist discipled me. What about you? Ah, oh, just Jesus. Jesus was my disciple. You know, he taught me everything. I Like, so surely they're ready to go. No, they're not. Jesus says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Wait for what? For power. I want you to wait for power. This is how it rolls. Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus gives his disciples the commission. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be, pre should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So here's the plan. You guys are going to take this good news to the ends of the earth. Nothing small, just evangelize the whole world, right? And behold, verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. He's literally saying, don't start anything until you are filled with power by the Holy Spirit. Don't start. Wait. Wait. Again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, and only then, Will you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? You know, one of the chief purposes for the reason that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit was that he might direct, was that he might empower the church for the mission that he has left us to do. One of the chief reasons is that he would fill us and send us and direct us for the mission that he's given us. Now, in case you think that that's just unique to Luke Acts, let me take you to John 20, 21, where Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them, they receive the Spirit. Or in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and... Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, in the presence and power of the Spirit. You see, in the end, mission was never meant to be something that we did on our own strengths, that we walked into with our own resources. Effective mission is always empowered mission. Tim Chester says this, We are not given a task that matches our power. Rather, we're given a power that matches our task. That is, we are filled and empowered with the Spirit, the powerful Spirit of God, in order to take the good news to the ends of the earth. That's the task we've been given. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between 12 scared disciples in the upper room, fearful of the Jews, fearful of the men that killed Jesus, What's the difference between those men and Peter in Acts chapter 2 who stands up and boldly proclaims Jesus? The difference is Acts chapter 2 at the beginning there where they are filled with the Spirit, with power to declare the name of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. So what we learn from these disciples, from their experience, is that it's not enough to just know it all up here. It's not enough to have our explanation of the gospel figured out in six succinct points. It's not enough for us to have memorized all of the apologetic arguments so we can slam people's um, arguments against God. It's not enough. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. What we need is to be directed by the Spirit in His mission. And so I want to give you a couple examples of this in case you think this is not what's actually happening in the Scriptures Let's go to Luke, uh, Acts chapter 4. We, we've hit this verse a number of times recently. It's one of my favorite verses in the, um, the story of the early church in Acts. It's such an important scripture for us, I feel. So Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Bit of context here. Peter and James have just healed a man. And the Jewish rulers, the Sanhedrin, call them in, ask them by what power and name that they've done this. They say the name of Jesus Right, this is the very same men that crucified Jesus and Peter and James with great boldness. Or John. Is it John? James? John? Who is it? I don't know. One of them. Peter and Jay. They're there and, and they bear witness to Jesus in front of the very men that just 40 days ago crucified their Savior. Peter says, after they've threatened him to stop preaching about Jesus, he says, well... You judge whether it's right for us to obey you or God, for we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's courage. That's Holy Spirit-empowered boldness. They threaten them. They say, stop talking about Jesus. They leave, and immediately the church calls a prayer meeting. And this is what they pray in Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place on which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled 
with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. These are believers. These are the same people in Acts chapter 2 who Peter says, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And they receive a secondary, subsequent or fresh new filling of the Spirit, if you like. They are filled with the Spirit. And what is the result of that filling? They speak the word of God with boldness, with courage. You you can trace this story through the book of Acts. Time and time again, you see opposition comes against the church. They cry out in prayer. More often than not, they don't ask for power from the Spirit. They pray for boldness. They pray for strength. And the Spirit fills them and they speak the word of the Lord with great boldness and courage. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that that is the normal experience for a Christian. That is the normal experience. That we would be filled with the Spirit. That the Spirit would fill us and guide us and direct us in His mission, in what He is doing. That we ought to pray for this. That we ought to expect that God would use us in that way. I think that's the normal experience for anyone who calls themselves a Christian. Now you'll notice here that it's all of them who are filled. Did you see that there in verse 31? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just Peter and James or John who received the Spirit here. This is all of them. Because God doesn't call just a special select few to send them on mission. He calls the whole church. All of them. They all received the filling of the Spirit. He sent all of them on mission together. Doesn't that sound familiar? A community of people on mission for Jesus. Church, imagine what it would look like if our community would be bold like the early church, would be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus like this, would be crying out that God would use us, that he would fill us with his spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers and directs the mission. And so I want to give you some examples of that in the life of Paul, the missionary who God used to take the good news of the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. This is Paul's experience of the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. You'll notice as you read through the book of Acts, there are a number of times where the Holy Spirit very clearly and powerfully directs Paul to the mission. So Paul says, we're going to go here, we're going to preach the gospel over there, and then they go, and he says, well, the Spirit prevented us from crossing the border. The Spirit stopped us from doing this. The Spirit, we had a vision, we concluded that God had called us over here. You'll see that time and time again. The best architect for mission is the Spirit of God. He is the one who directs. And you see, Paul's experience of mission is that he's empowered By the Holy Spirit. Mission occurs as it is directed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Paul, writing to the church in the city of Thessalonica, says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. See, Paul is saying, when we came to you, we came and we preached the gospel with our words, but it didn't just come in word, and it has to come in word. It has to, the gospel is a message that has to be preached, but it didn't just come with us speaking. It came with power, and it came with the Holy Spirit. What you see happening in the church in this city is that this is a city full of people, Paul says, that worshipped idols. And there was such a radical turning from idols to worship the true and living God that, that this city, this church, became renowned throughout the whole region of their faith. That God had worked powerfully in this city to draw people, to regenerate them, to bring them from death to life. The gospel came with power. Second thing you'll see is Paul goes to the city of Corinth And preaches there. This is what happens in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. See, Paul is saying, I didn't come as a particularly gifted orator. I wasn't one of the power preachers that swept through your city. In fact, I was anxious, I was nervous, I was weak. But the good news of Jesus was accompanied by a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the church that had all of the gifts, right? This was the church that had everything. Tongues, prophecy, it was all, and look, they got it all messed up and Paul hammers them for it later on. But he thanks God for their speech. He thanks God for their knowledge. This was a church where the Spirit completely empowered them. Power, gospel. This bland, anxious preacher of the good news came and as he spoke Jesus in all its plainness and simplicity and maybe even its boringness, the Spirit of God moved. Lives were radically changed. A church was empowered. Well, have a look at what he says in Romans 15 verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That is, he will not speak of anything except what Jesus has done through him in calling people to faith, in bringing all of these cities that he's preached the gospel in to worship Jesus by word and deed, by the, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. See, Paul is not bragging of his missionary accolades. He's not puffing himself up about how good he was to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. No, he's saying, this is what Jesus did through me. This is what the Spirit did by His power. Paul preached the good news almost to the ends of the earth. Illyricum is kind of like modern-day Albania, Yugoslavia. Right? He's, he's gone from Jerusalem all the way up through the Middle East, over to Europe. The gospel has gone everywhere because Paul was directed, Paul was empowered, Paul was filled by the Holy Spirit. As you read some of these accounts, and in fact this question came up in some of our gospel communities, you might think, well, should we expect to see signs and wonders and healings and power like we see here in Acts, like we see here in Paul's ministry? Now, there might be some who would say, well, you know what? What we see happening here in the book of Acts is not always the normative experience for Christians today. And, and that's true. There are things that we see that aren't necessarily applicable to us all the time. Some might say, well, this is a special period, a special time in history where God is establishing the church and appointing the apostles and doing wonderful miracles just like he was through the time of Jesus. And that's true. But none of those things suggest to me that we can't ask for and expect and see God to do those things. Signs, power, healings, miracles. Maybe the reason that we don't see those things is because we do not ask. And when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. Or we ask and we doubt that God is really capable of doing those things. Let me share a story with you this morning of a couple, Matt and Robin, who have been a part of our church since the beginning of this year. They've just returned from 25 years on the mission field in the Middle East and North Africa. But before they were heading off to mission, Robin had a, um, an issue with her jaw that had separated and it was intensely painful. And the treatment that she was receiving for this, this uh, injury that she'd sustained was only available in Australia. She wouldn't have received it when she went onto the mission field. And so three weeks, literally three weeks before they were due to leave and they were counting the cost of what it looks like to go. Does Robin go with this painful jaw? It may never get better. The doctors were saying that even after two years of intensive treatment, it may never get better. Literally three weeks before they were about to go, 
and served Jesus in the Middle East, Matt, Robin's husband, prays for her and her jaw is healed. And they go and do mission for 25 years without a sore jaw. Now, God, God may have said no to that. They may have been on the mission field for 25 years and Robin was there eating whatever she ate in the Middle East with a sore. Like, but he didn't. He healed her. That may have prevented them from going. It didn't. They went to the Middle East. They served Jesus for 25 years, saw lives radically transformed by the good news of the grace of God. Now you notice here that the miracles and the healings and the signs and the wonders... They're not the things that are in the spotlight. It's the message of Jesus. It's the gospel that's in the spotlight. That's what is in the spotlight throughout the book of Acts. right? You see these signs, these wonders being done. People freak out about them. The apostles say, look, this is not about us. This is not about our power. This is about Jesus. You see that's true of Paul's ministry. You'll see that's true even of Jesus' ministry. He heals, he performs signs in all of the towns, villages and cities that he preaches in. And then he leaves some people there who he hasn't healed. And he says, God has called me to go to other places and preach the good news there. That is why he sent me. The primacy of the mission, of the ministry, is that we make much of Jesus, that the gospel is proclaimed. These things are signposts that point us to Jesus. It would be a bit like being fascinated about the sign in Cape Town, just at the bottom of the hill. As you look up the hill, you see this amazing Table Mountain there, and there's a big sign, a tourist sign that says, Table Mountain this way. Right? It would be a bit like being fascinated and obsessed with a steel sign and missing the mountain behind it. What's in the spotlight here is Jesus. He is the one who heals. He is the one who performs miracles. It's about him. These things point us to him. And so, yes, I think we can expect. I think we can ask. I think we can pray that these things might happen. They have happened. They do happen. But we're fascinated, we're obsessed about Jesus, about the good news of the gospel going out. So effective mission is always empowered mission. Effective mission is always empowered mission, directed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this. Has the Holy Spirit changed? Is the Holy Spirit A different spirit to the spirit that empowered Peter, that filled Paul, that directed the church. No, he's the same spirit. In fact, Paul expects that the spirit of God that empowered him for mission is the same spirit that would empower Timothy for what Timothy has been called to. Have a look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. This is Paul speaking to his young, loved apprentice and son in the faith. This is what he says to him. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Timothy had received this gift. This gift, people had laid hands on him. They prophesied over him and received this gift of being a leader, of being a pastor of God's people. And he is out of fear, shirking from the calling that God had given him. Now, to be fair, the times were tough. Nero is emperor. He is ravaging the church. Great persecution has fallen upon them. His mentor, his father in the faith, Paul, is in jail experiencing persecution. False teaching is rife. The church is under the pump. And Timothy is afraid. He's timid. He is fearful. And Paul says, my son, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of a truth. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control, so that 
you might not be ashamed of Jesus, so that you might not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. You have received a spirit of power, Timothy. Remember that. It's not appropriate for you to be afraid. This is the Spirit of God who I have seen, Paul speaking, I've seen time and time again. Fill me, give me courage, give me words, bust Peter out of prison. Do not be afraid, young Timothy. Do not be ashamed, for you have a spirit of power. Are you afraid? Are you timid? Are you cautious? It seems to me that is so true of us at the moment, is it not? The cultural climate that surrounds us is that your faith is private. In fact, it's offensive to me, so I'd prefer you just to be quiet. The voice of the church is being silenced. In fact, here's a problem that I've noticed. You know what? At the moment, we are being called to be vocal and bold and courageous about ethical issues. Make a stand against same-sex marriage is what we're told to do. And so the only voice that our culture is hearing right now is a negative message about marriage and not hearing the good news of Jesus because we're too afraid to talk about it. Do you know what the problem with that is? Is that they have to hear of the good news of Jesus before they ever, ever get to the ethical implications of the gospel. We've got to start at ABC. God exists. He sent Jesus. If that's real, then we live this way. What happened to the bold good news message that we have? That Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again to set us free. That's the message we need to be being encouraged to be bold to speak about. Facebook walls that are littered with the gospel, not littered with articles from the newspaper about this debate. It's not going to change much for us, you know. We need to be emboldened to preach the good news of Jesus. Are you timid? Are you feeling afraid? Are you feeling cautious? I just remind you that God delights in using the uneloquent and the ill-equipped. Just think about Moses. Moses who pleaded with God, God, I'm not very good at speaking. Which probably may not have been the truth. But anyway, he says, God, I'm not good at speaking. Help me. And God provides Aaron. Or Isaiah who says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Or Jeremiah who says, God, I'm only young. I'm only a youth. I don't even know how to speak. Or Paul, who is weak and uneloquent. God delights in using the ill-equipped, the uneloquent, the weak. Did you know, church, that you can speak the good news of Jesus with the same power and authority of Jesus, with the same power and authority of Paul, with the same power and authority of Peter. Why? Not because you're awesome, not because of your amazing personality, your outgoing people skills, but because you have the same Spirit of God inside of you as they did. Bold preaching of Jesus. What does this look like? For the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us and direct us for his mission. I think it looks like a couple of things. Firstly, I think it means we need to pray. It means we need to ask, God, would, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you direct this mission? This is your thing. And maybe James 4.2 is true of us. You have not received because you have not asked. When you walk through the doors of your office... At 8.30 tomorrow morning with your skinny latte and your briefcase and your... Will you stop and say, God, would you, would you fill me with your spirit for the mission that you call me today? As you walk into your university campus with its beautiful architecture and towering philosophy that is against the good news of Jesus, would you pray, God, in this, in this place of opposition to you, would you fill me with your spirit for the task that you've called me to? We need to stop and ask and plead with God that he would fill us and direct us and lead us. We need to pray. 
Secondly, I think we need to start taking some risks. We've made our version of Christianity so safe. And the Spirit of God doesn't need to empower you for something that you are quite capable of doing on your own. But what if you were to step out and do something that you feel is completely out of your depth? And plead, God, please, I need you in this moment. I feel completely incapable of this. I don't know how to say it. I don't have the words. These people are way smarter than me. But would you fill me with your spirit now for the task that you've called me to? We are such risk-averse missionaries. And I think we're like that because truly we believe it's about us. It's about our strength. It's about what we achieve rather than the power of God. What would it be like for a church that is courageous like the early church, dependent on the Spirit like the early church, willing even to suffer for the name of Jesus? So we need to be prayerful. We need to take risks. You know, I'll just give you a practical example of this. I remember the, um, the very first job I got as a youth pastor was at a church in the western suburbs of Sydney, church called Multicultural Bible Ministry, and part of my role there was to teach high school scripture in Rudy Hill High School. Now, Rudy Hill High School is actually a great school, but I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought it was ghetto and gangster and crazy, and I was scared. I grew up in the hills. It was nice. It was middle class. Everything was safe. And then I went and taught Year 7 scripture with Islander boys that were twice my size and very intimidating. And I remember standing before this classroom of kids and they would throw questions at us at the end of the lesson, sometimes for 15 minutes. And, and we would pray beforehand and, and, and ask that God to give us words. But sometimes I remember answering questions and going, where did that come from? Did, did that literally just roll off my lips? Because I have no idea where that came from. There were moments where it just felt like God was speaking through me, giving me words that I hadn't prepared, that I hadn't thought were even in me. Has anyone else experienced that when you're sitting across the table at the pub and someone questions you and you say something like, whoa, where did that come from? We need to be people who are deeply dependent on the Spirit of God. Maybe it looks like falling on our knees and repenting of our self-sufficiency. And saying, God, I, I am sorry that I've been trying to do mission, your mission, without you, without your, I have not put the foot down. Repenting of our fear of man, repenting of our shame of the gospel. Now I've got to tell you, that's, that's as relevant for me as it is for you. I remember Pastor Matt Chandler president of the Acts 29 network, standing in front of a room full of church planters, about seven, eight hundred of us, and saying, we cannot be beasts in the pulpit and cowards in the neighborhood. And I tell you what, that was, oh, there was a, so many pastors in that room who were completely flawed by one line. We cannot be beasts in the pulpit and cowards in the street. It's easy to stand up here and be bold and courageous and preach Jesus. Am I this bold when I'm at the pub? Am I this bold when I'm on the sporting field? Am I this bold? Maybe we need to repent of our fear and our self-sufficiency and our shame of the gospel. Maybe the reason that we're not seeing much of this happen is because we deep down don't really believe that God can do that. And we've not prayed, we've not asked Him to do that. What we need to do is trust God's promises and take a step of faith and pray that He might use us despite our inadequacy. I want to ask you this question. Who is the best evangelist in the world? Like in all of history... Who is the best evangelist in the world? And as you think through the periods of history of time, you might think of people like George Whitfield. They nicknamed him Golden Tongue. He was the greatest preacher in all history. He had a voice without a microphone that boomed. His outdoor preaching was powerful. Thousands flocked to Jesus under his preaching. You might think of John Wesley. 
You might think of more recently people like Billy Graham. Or maybe you think, well, come on, give me a break. It's got to be the Apostle Paul who preached the good news throughout the whole world. You know, the best evangelist in all of history is this. This is what D.L. Moody, 19th century evangelist, said. There is no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. There is no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. If the church would just let him come in, there would soon be a mighty work for Christ. Tim Chester said, the Spirit is the great mission strategist. The Holy Spirit is the best evangelist in the whole world. The best strategist in the whole world. And with that truth in mind, church, today what I want to do is encourage you to ask him to fill you and empower you for the mission that he calls you to tomorrow morning or this afternoon even. During our time of response and worship and praise of God, we're going to have our prayer teams up the back like normal. And if you feel that you're in a place where you would like God to fill you with his spirit for the mission that he's called you to, then we invite you to go at the back and ask our prayer team to pray for you, that he might use you, that he might fill you, that he might empower you, that he might direct you in what he has called you to do. So I know they're there every week. They'll pray for you next week if, they, if you want. But use today as an opportunity to say, God, I need you. Use me. Fill me. You know, this um, good news that we proclaim is good news that I want to remind you of right now in faith, believing that the power of the Spirit might have some here today that He is going to awaken. This is the good news that we believe. You are created. Every single one of you in this room, you are created. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not a, here because of a random freak mutation that happened. You are created by a loving, good, and powerful God who spoke this world into existence. And that means that because you've been created by God, you have dignity. You have value as a human being. You have purpose in life. We live in a world where most people are apathetic about God. Why do I need him? Is he even real? Is he even relevant? The reason that God is relevant to your life is that the reason you breathe is because he gave you that breath. God created you. But we've all rejected this good, perfect, creator God. We've rejected his goodness. We've rejected his love. We've rejected relationship. We've sinned against him. Now here's the deal. Sin is not simply just some guilty pleasure that we enjoy, like a magnum ego. Right? Sin is who we are at the core of our being. Sin is a rejection of relationship with God that breaks his heart. Sin severs that relationship that we had with our Creator. And God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to live the life that we couldn't live because we'd rejected God and then to die the death that we should have died for our sins, taking our punishment and our penalty in our place. This is what the Christian faith calls the great exchange, that Jesus would die for your sin and gift you his perfect life. And he is restoring you to relationship back to God. In Christ we find an invitation to be united with God again, to receive relationship with our maker like we were originally intended to have. And then God makes us a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. He makes us a people of light by filling us with light that we might take that light to the ends of the earth. But if you're here today and that story is not your story, then God wants to call you to be a part of his family. He is calling you home in the good news of Jesus, that he has paid for your sin, that he loves you, that he wants relationship with you today. If that's you, then please head to our team up the back. They would love to pray with you, that you might receive Christ, that you might be filled with the Spirit, that you might be made new today. 
But you know, every single person in this room needs that message. Maybe you need it today for the thousandth time. In the gospel, I have the Father's approval. He loves me. And out of that approval, he sends us on this mission, empowered by his spirit, directed by his spirit, to make much of Jesus. And it's that Jesus that we celebrate now. In this meal, there's four stations on the sides to the front. There is bread and grape juice there. And we invite those of you who love Jesus and worship him to participate in this meal as a reminder of the cross. Dip the bread in the grape juice and eat it. And rejoice that you have heard, this is my child whom I love, with him I am well pleased. As a reminder that God fills you with his spirit and sends you on mission. And maybe for the first time today, you might like to participate in that meal because you have received Jesus. You have believed the good news of the gospel. But wherever you are this morning, friends, our hope, our prayer is that as you come to anchor, that you would meet Jesus. We love him. We worship him. And we're going to do that just now. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to respond in worship of our great God. And I'm going to pray. So join me. Stand. Let's pray. Let's respond to our good God. God, we thank you that you are the God, the missionary God, who has a heart for this world, who longs to see the good news, the gospel go to the ends of the earth. God, this is your mission. And you have empowered us by your spirit to be participants in what you are doing. So God, today we, we come before you and we confess that too often we think this is about us and our strength. That we have operated in self-sufficiency. That we have operated in fear. God, we come before you today to say that we need you. We desperately need you to fill us with your spirit, to send us on your mission. So God, would you work today? In the lives of every single person in this room, would you work in helping us to see that we need you more than we care to admit? We love you, God. We thank you that we, we can worship you now and respond to this Jesus who has rescued us, saved us. We thank you, God, for him. And we worship you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen.